Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the last Stack Podcast of 2023. I'm Alex. It's the final Stack Down. I'm Justin. I'm Pete. And on this final stack of the year, we're still going to be talking about some new comics that are coming out. New comics coming out all the time, even in the last week of the year. Why don't we kick it off with a big one. Duke, number one from Image Comics, written by Joshua Williamson, art by Tom Riley. This is a continuation of the Energon universe that kicked off in Void Rivals. Continued in Comic Book Club's number one comic of 2023, Transformers. And now... We're slow playing into G.I. Joe. We're getting a G.I. Joe themed Come series out. with Duke. Come Next out. month, we're going to be kicking off Cobra Commander, which is going to lead into the Cobra side of stuff, all building Cobra, out the universe. La, 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 hey, la, la. You like these guys. What did you think of this book? Yeah, I mean, if you would have said to me, hey, you know what you're going to be very excited for? The Energon universe. I was like, what? That sounds dumb. This is awesome. What I is Energon, love- you'd say? Uh, oh, I know what Energon is. I'm a Transformers fan from back in the day. So you say Energon, I know what you're talking about. You say it's Energon, I say. Of cubes of energy. Uh, anyways, uh, <laughs> yeah, this is this is awesome. I thought this was a great idea for the launch that centered around Duke, who is, everybody knows, a very famous G.I. Joe character, one of the favorites. And, and a sorry, just character. to interrupt because I'm not as familiar with G.I. Joe. His powers no. are like Duke powers, like he has royalty powers that he uses. G.I. Joe doesn't have powers, Dick. Well, but like if they're themed around it, so he's themed around royalty. So like he's very into the royal family, even though he's an American hero. He kind of has like a British tinge to him. You it's like the action. crown. It's like yeah, it's, it's a crown. Exactly. The princess dies. It's like getting into yeah. a lot of fun drama. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyways, you guys have fun. I really like the idea of you know looking at this a little bit realistically when it comes to GI Joe and having Duke have all this trauma from Cobra. So of course he sees the Transformers and he thinks Cobra's behind it. I thought that was such a brilliant, smart move. Very well executed. Sorry, like legitimately, seriously, to interrupt. I don't think that's what's actually going on here because Cobra hasn't been introduced into the world yet. He uh, it is in this comic motherfucker no i know we get to see that as viewers but he doesn't know about cobra nobody else knows what was about the flashbacks cobra. to cobra stuff then i don't think it was flashback he was in war right yes but it was clearly cobra uh i believe that they were called bats but there was these machines that the cobra people would get in and kind oh, of okay. like maybe i'm just not familiar with gi joe and cobra you're not and so Retracted. it's weird that you're lecturing me about this uh i well, understand what you're saying yeah he's it's war uh, but it was war with Cobra because we clearly saw uh, Cobra uh, kind of utility, uh, kind of like mech suits uh, that they used. What I like about it is I think to both you're both a little bit right uh, in that I think Cobra is a shadowy organization that Duke is starting to encounter. So it's there, but nobody knows about them in the larger world. And this, just like Transformers, it feels like our heroes are losing. 
And yeah. they're barely hanging on. And Duke is like way on the out. He reminds me of like Captain America in the Nomad era, where just like on his own, man without a country, trying to like figure out what to do and constantly under attack. And it's a it's a great first issue. And it the tone of this universe is the part I'm really psyched about. Well, good. I'm glad that there's stuff for everybody in here. But also, I just want to kind of get back to something you said originally. Your opening statement was Cobra is a shadowy organization. And that got ingrained in me so much as a child uh, watching all the cartoons and then the awesome movie with Sergeant Slaughter. Uh, I was like, uh, when I got my first real job and they said, yeah, you get uh, Cobra insurance. With Cobra. You yeah, I was, with like, Cobra Commander. I was like, no, I refuse because I will never work with Cobra. Mm, there you go. And you punched yeah. them in the face, right? And ran out and jumped out the yeah, window. Yeah, exactly. Yep. 100%. Yeah. Now, my question for you, Pete, is, yes, sorry. that's just, that's your business degree was uh, based on punching. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> at the end of the issue where um, the cobra, the blood f- turns into a cobra symbol, is right, that right. what blood is like? for cobras it's always like very Uh, well branded anytime well that's the thing because in the gi joe cartoon cobra was such horrible shots they never hit anything uh so that could Mm. be a new reveal that if you kill a cobra agent uh and it happens to be in snow uh their blood will uh form the symbol just to actually clarify about that one that is a preview of cobra commander number one and not actually part of the issue of duke but uh, to answer your question, yes, that's Cobra Blood. That's what happens. Speaking as a doctor, I yeah. really like this issue as well. I thought the art from Tom Riley was great. This reminded yes. me a lot of the IDW G.I. Joe run that we like so much from oh, yes. Paul Allure and Evan Joe Evanhouse. I, I don't remember the first name of the guy, but... That was similarly like taking this big, bombastic, over-the-top concept and giving it a spy flavor. I think Joshua Williamson does that really nicely here. He also is experimenting in terms of form a lot lately. We saw that over in his Superman run as well. And the way that he goes through Duke's trauma and PTSD, I think is really smartly and emotionally done. So very into this book. Yeah, Let's, wait, before we move on, oh, yeah, just yeah. real quick. Yeah, I just want to say that I I do think because, uh, you know, Gene Han, amazing G.I. Joe writer, kind of has this reality that is the G.I. Joe that we know and love. But kind of having this, as you said, a little bit of a spy mystery thriller where it's more set in the real world and we're not sure what really happened is an interesting take. And the kind of tone of it uh, really does a great job of, of sucking you into this kind of new world. And my question is, uh, agree with all of that, but um, are we going to get to see at the end of this issue, we get a preview of two other Joes that we're going to see that they're going to go yeah. after. Too. Are we going to get to see any of our other favorite Joes like Snow Job? Oh, I hope uh, so. Maybe Shipwreck. Shipwreck. Outdoor barbecue. Yeah. No, is no, Surge Protector, just... Protector going to show up? That's not one. Because yeah. he's my favorite. I like what, him because he's is safe. in my room. Printer is printer going to show up? <laughs> yeah. What about uh, ice cream comb dropped on the sidewalk? Is that, that's my favorite show. Roadblock is a real name. The stop, you know, these these are real things here, people. Come on. <laughs> what about half empty tube of toothpaste? What about half empty tube of toothpaste? Is he coming? Yeah, oh, we're man. we're adults talking about serious things. Like, for example, Timeless Number One from ah. Marvel. Written by Colin Kelly and Jackson Lansing, art by Juan Cabal. This is a now annual event, I guess, where Marvel releases an issue that looks forward to the future of the Marvel Universe, both through essentially a done-in-one story, but also at the same time giving us those classic, ooh, multiple panels of tease of what's coming over the next year. In this one, we're getting a future Luke Cage 
It was the powers of, among other characters, Luke Cage, <laughs> the Hulk, uh, Sentry, um, Iron Fist, and I'm forgetting, <coughs> excuse me, one other. He is fighting against the Eternal Moon Knight. There's some twists in the issue in terms of the identity of various folks. What do you guys think about this one? I thought this was really kind of fun and over the top. You know, it takes characters we know and really kind of powers them up to see what happens. So I thought it's a interesting future where uh, Luke Cage has all these combinations. Um, yeah, I really liked the back and forth and uh, all the kind of uh, superpower reveals as well as the kind of mashup reveals of these characters. So I thought it was really interesting, fun to see uh, Kanchu, uh, God of Moon Knight there, uh, all and powered up and ready to kick some ass. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited for it. I think it does a good job as the number one issue of setting up this world and then getting you excited for more. Yeah, Moon Knight's a, Kanchu's bad, a bad guy, though, at this point, right? Isn't mm-hmm. Kanchu not nice? Yeah, yeah that's true. It's I kind think... of an old evil god type of thing. Well, it's like uh, yeah, how always... we, we hate the moon. Like, every night what? we're like, ah, oh, moon. Uh, curse we the moon. hate the moon? Yeah, we hate the moon. Oh, I don't think yeah. so. It makes me crazy. I'm I mean, lunatic. maybe if you turned into a werewolf, you could hate the moon. But other than that, I don't think you should. <laughs> I would welcome the the werewolf aspect of the moon. Yeah, oh, I go out in the moon, the full moon, nothing happens. Except Can for I, I contradict you, Pete? This didn't work for me. I like oh. I, I like the writing team. Love Juan Cabal on art, generally speaking. Yeah, the in terms of great. the story, I really I know we're bouncing around the spoiler. I, I will mention the spoiler here. If anybody doesn't want to know, turn away. But the spoiler is this: really is a Power Man and Iron Fist comic because the reveal is that Danny Rand has been taken over by Conchu at some point mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. past. So it's a fight between them. When we get to the eventual emotional parts of it towards the end was the two of them as their friendship had broken apart. I thought that was smartly and interestingly done, but I would have liked more of that layered throughout the comic book. It felt like the emotion came a little too late for me in the run of the issue. The other thing is the teases, which is kind of the whole point of doing a one shot like this, just didn't get me excited about anything they were a lot of them frankly and maybe this is just me reading them but they felt a little murky like it was not purposely like ooh, intriguing murky there were some things like who is prisoner x somebody clearly in uh, imprisoned in the center of cerebro that's something i'm like all right i'd like to know more about that but then some other panels are like what if uh, Venom fought, uh, what if Punisher fought another Punisher? Or what if Miles Morales was there? It wasn't like entire, uh, we've read issues of this before where there have been big teases, like what they haven't followed up on is that tease of Thanos holding Mjolnir with the Infinity Stones leading an army of Marvel zombies. That's something that I'm like, oh shit, what happens next there? What does that lead to? But other ah. in here, these paddles of like, here's a character doing the kind of things you expect this character to do. It didn't, it didn't get me psyched. It was so, all right, all right. You said a lot of stuff. Okay. Understandable. Sure, yeah. you, you're, you know, entitled to your opinion, but so you're saying that like seeing a Luke cage in the future who also has the power of Hulk and iron fist doesn't get you excited. It's fine. Now. Fine. Uh, it's Fine. I want Fine. the emotional underpinning Luke there. Cage has the power of Iron Fist. That's awesome. And mm. then also the Hulk. And you're like, meh. Yeah. Duh. I don't know. I've, we've seen a lot of mashups this past year. So. They're fun. I guess. Oh, my God. All right. Enough back and forth. Justin, what do you think about Timeless? 
I feel like I'm somewhere in the middle between you guys because, like, I uh, I think we've seen a lot of uh, mashup stuff. Jason Aaron's run on Avengers, I feel sure, like, sure. did a, did this super well. And because this issue is sort of doing two things, telling a, a Luke Cage Iron Fist story, uh, which I think is fun, but also feels – and it's a good emotional core here – it feels like it leaves a lot of the actual like teasing timeless the way this book sort of sets up other Marvel stories. That feels like an afterthought to your point, Alex. So th- the fight was cool and I like the emotional underpinning, but it just felt like it was trying to do too much all at once, I think. All right. Well, I'll tell you what, from a new beginning to an ending, let's move on and talk about Action Comics Annual 2023, number one oh, from DC Comics, written by Philip Kennedy Johnson, art by Max Rayner. This is the end of Philip Kennedy Johnson's three year run on Action Ooh. Comics. It is Superman and the Super Family bringing the fight to Nora Stone, who is actually Janin Al Ghul from Earth Al Ghul, an evil Earth out in the dark multiverse. Then the fight comes back to Earth as they attack Metropolis. What did you guys think about the wrap up to the run? I mean, it's interesting. This this feels like it ends where, where Philip Kennedy Johnson sort of wanted to, really focusing on the family and the characters that he created and added to the super family. So that's cool. I felt that I really wanted more of sort of a, an issue to wrap up, like a final statement on it. And this felt like a big action, so many things, which I really liked. But it's sad to me that this is his last story. Uh, I want something a little sentimental, something that really brings it all together, I guess. Yeah, I I hear what Justin's saying for sure. I mean, PKJ had an amazing run. It's legendary. People will be talking about it for years. Such had such cool things to say and do uh, with these characters we know and love so well. So yeah, I would have loved like a nice kind of like ending where we got to sit in our feelings a little bit and kind of thank him for all of that uh, he did for those three years. Uh, but this issue was great. Uh, I loved all the action. Etrogen in here is always a, a fun thing that I, I get into. So, yeah, I loved all the battle, all the kind of family stuff. So I, I thought this was a great issue. Didn't feel like the last issue of a legendary run, but still a great issue. Well, he has said that he's going to, or teased that he's going to come back to Superman at some point. So presumably there's more to come later in the year. We know that some sort of Superman-focused event or Brainiac event or something is going to happen at some point. So potentially he may come together. Maybe he's taking point on that and that's why he needs to step away from action comics. But like, I totally agree with you guys on the emotional bent, but at the same time, he brought a lot of the story beats that he set up back in the War World saga to a close very neatly here, set it up nicely for whoever, whoever being, I believe, Jason Aaron is coming in next on Action Comics to pick it up from there. So really good stuff. And Max Rayner draws some great invasion oh, yeah. sequences in particular. Yeah. The invasion yeah. of Metropolis was very cool. It felt like a big budget on. movie. Um, yeah. Very fun stuff. Norstone, a.k.a. Sister Shadow, good antagonist as well. I'm sure we will see her again. Next up, The Book of Butcher, number one from Boob Studios, written by James Tyne IV, art by Werther Deltaria. This is, of course, picking up off the world of Something is Killing the Children. And instead, we're focusing on the House of Butcher, which is just a guy alone in a swamp. There's a lot of political machinations going on, but also similar to... Forgetting what it was, I think it was the Book of Slaughter or something like that that came out a year or so ago. This issue gives you huge amounts of necessary information 
that explains the world of something is killing the children in a way that we haven't explored in either spinoff series so far. I love this. I thought this was great. I read every page. Um, you know, which you read every page, well, every uh, page. No, well, but there's a lot of text pages in there, and normally you're yeah, like, that's uh, true. That's, I, that's I, I don't know. Maybe I'll point. just. I, I'm low on time, but they're so interesting and so. Well you got no written. time for text. Well, it's take some time I, for text. It's great. I got no some time text. for text. Reading James Tide of the Force, like his Bible, his story Bible yeah. for it here, and that's very cool. Yeah, it is very cool. It's at first I was like, "Oh my god, is this like a boys tie-in?" When I saw the title for Butcher, nope, not not even a little bit. But uh, I still did not was not disappointed by this comic at all. Really loved the kind of sitting in this thing of like, okay, if we have these new kind of people who come up in the ranks, how does it work? Do they train with people? Do they? So it was kind of cool to kind of sit in this moment a little bit with this. A protege and kind of uh, uh, leader. So I was really uh, impressed with it. And then it kind of takes place in the swamp, which is creepy for a lot of different reasons. So, mm. yeah. And it also brings this new twist to the monsters, which is exciting. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Cause they monsters have just been these horrible things that uh, eat children. So uh, if there's, there is something else to them, that'd be cool to kind of get into that as well. So yeah. Yeah. Love the Pete, fact you, you got think- to spend more time in this world. Do you think we're going to get a Something is Killing the Adults spinoff based on this Ooh, book? Let's hope so, man. No, These something is befriending. Die, you know what I mean? <laughs> something is befriending the adults, I think, is what Ooh, we're getting next. Okay, all right. Well, that's what I, I really liked about this. This sort of does what Timeless says it's going to do, oh, is like really set up a lot oh, of on, future stories. Shots. I'm not taking shots. I'm just saying, like, reading them back to back, I was like, oh, this is setting up a lot of future Justin's stories. Justin's just saying one is year. bad and the other is good, but he's not passing any judgment. But come on, man. Yeah, that's right. Uh, But I think this is setting up a lot of future stories that I think can uh, take place in this universe. We get a lot of interesting details about how, like, the people used to use the blood to, uh, like, become invisible, I guess, and, like, Mm -hmm. all the use the monster blood. And then a great story about that very directly opens sort of the world into, like, monsters that we're friends with. Yeah, Yeah, which is kind of an... Angle that we haven't even considered before, which is interesting. I also want to talk, you know, there's a lot of text in here that Zelbatron was talking about, but then also it kind of gets a little meta and weird when it's kind of like talking about reading between the lines. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Pretty deep stuff. You know what I mean? Between. <laughs> wow. Oh, wow. I see oh, what I've never saying. read well, there. Someone is reading the comics, I have to say, and it's us as we're going to move on and talk about. Uh, um, Star Wars Dark Droids number yeah. five from Marvel, written by Charles Saul. Trying to die. By, I'm trying very hard every day. Good. Art by Luke Ross. This is wrapping up the Dark Droids event, which has brought a new threat to the Star Wars universe called the Scourge. It's taken over Scourge. most droid life forms and is trying to take over the flesh as well. Uh, spoiler, since you've seen several Star Wars movies, not successful this issue. But Oh, uh, come yeah. on, dude. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Oh. <laughs> sorry. Wouldn't no, that be fine. weird? Wouldn't it be weird it's, if it was like, <laughs> yes, all flesh is the scourge. Yeah. Enjoy Empire Done. Strikes Back. Yeah, watch it again this time. <laughs> it makes a lot of sense for the final trilogy that they're all robots. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Emotionally. Wow. Slam. Wow. Yeah. Uh, what did you guys think about the wrap up here? 
Uh, I felt like this, this – I know we're making fun of it, but this is what I think Star Wars comics should really be doing and maybe even future TV shows and whatnot is finding places where they can actually tell a new story where it doesn't feel like we're going to know the outcome. And I thought this crossover in general did a good job of telling an interesting story, touching on the Star Wars universe we know, but really just expanding out into sort of like droid philosophy and different things and different ways that this all works. So like, I thought this was good. The ending felt a little like, got him. Uh, And then (laughs) Mm -hmm. he was out. uh, But otherwise, uh, enjoyed. Yeah, I agree. I really like this. Uh, uh, It was such a cool exploration of an idea and kind of like pushed all the way. And yeah, there was a moment I was reading the comic where I was like, well, you can't just and then the thing you don't think is going to happen happens and you're like, oh, shit. Uh, But then it's immediately over because (laughs) they were like, well, all right, we'll just uh, thrust the sword through this guy. But I just felt like the buildup was great. It was fun to kind of like, you know, get to the edge and be like, you can't do that, but then have it all be okay at the end. Um, Yeah, I I thought it was a great roller coaster ride and fun because it's, you know, you know something so well, you're like, how is this going to be different? But it did a great job of in between the kind of movies uh, having some fun. I also think Charles Soule did a interesting job with the Scourge as a villain, exploring the idea of what happens when the sentience spreads over hundreds, if not thousands of different beings. It starts to get fractured by the end. It starts to question what it's doing. There's a whole thing about droid religion as well that I thought was really fascinating. So to your point, Justin... There's a lot more stories they can tell in the Star Wars universe that don't have anything to do with the Skywalkers or anything like that. And frankly, that was the point when those characters came in. I was like, ah, it's not as interesting as what's going on with these droids. So I yeah, to your point, Alex, you're right. Charles Soule is a really great writer. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks for clarifying. Way to land the plane, Pete. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Alan Scott, The Green Lantern, number three from DC Comics, written by Tim Sheridan, art by C.N. Torby. We are continuing to explore a revised origin for Alan Scott through his LGBTQ plus identity. We are, we, the readers, have strongly suspected slash known that the villain he's facing is his old and I believe first boyfriend who was reborn as his greatest enemy. Um, In this issue, we get the Spectre in the mix. And I'll tell you what, maybe this is one of the best Spectre issues I've read in a really long time. It's a character that purposefully is always kept at arm length. It's this godlike being who just comes in and messes things up and leaves. But here it's more the old school, classic, more human identity. And I thought it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, you gave this an honorable mention at the top of the year. So, uh, yeah, this is this is your baby. But, I, yeah, it's impressive what you're doing with something that we thought we were done with, or at least, like, I know enough about this character. Uh, yeah, I thought it was just such an interesting, cool exploration uh, of this character and giving us new information, which is great. And, uh, yeah, great use of the Spectre. Fantastic art and tone to the piece. Uh, you know, you go everything 
from like excitement to heartbreak in this issue. So it's pretty cool. I also really enjoyed the Spectre um, appearance here. The I really liked the Spectre series back in the, the day. And then when Crispus Allen was Spectre um, coming out of Gotham Central, I thought that was really cool. Uh, or Gotham City, he was the, the chief of police, maybe not mm-hmm. Gotham Central. But that was that was the great Spectre. And this feels like taking a character and slotting it in, talking about the issues at play here with Alan Scott, trying to sort of come to grips with the fact that he uh, he's sad, you know, misses his, his first partner and then finding out and facing the knowledge that he think he struggles with, that this is now the villain he has to fight, I think is just a great setup and was able to sneak up on the reveal in a way that still felt really earned. Holy Roller, number two from Image Comics, written by Rick Remender, Andy Samberger, Andy Samberger, Andy Samberg, and Joe Trobenberger. <laughs> Art by Roland Bosky. We're following a guy who has come back to his hometown and immediately got into a fight with his old bully, who's basically a straight-up Nazi now. Beat the crap out of him with a bowling ball, Oof. and now... The bully with full law enforcement behind him is once again coming for him in his home. So we get yet another big fight in this issue as we are slowly, I think, developing a superhero, supervillain origin story. I'll say I wasn't the hugest fan of the first issue, though there's stuff I liked. This one straight up felt like kick-ass to me. I don't know mm-hmm. if it felt the same Yeah. It, it, could I agree. Be, it was I think. so violent. It was like to the the skull breaking open stuff that happened mm-hmm. here. I was like, oh, my God, this is this takes bowling to a whole new level. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, take that Nazis. You know what I mean? You're going to fucking be a Nazi. You're going to get a fucking bowling ball to the side of the dome. Uh, I thought this was fun, over the top, kind of crazy, which I was hoping for. And uh, yeah, they really kind of delivering on this. I I feel like the first issue was setting things up and this is now kind of we're getting into the kind of uh, beat of it. So, yeah, I'm excited for more. My Pete, only, how did you feel about the oh, Casey Jones sort of appropriation? Yeah, well, though, yeah, I was going to just try to skip on by that. But, yeah, it was I did have a real Casey Jones kind of vibe to it. Um, you know, he kind of puts on a bunch of sporting equipment and wrecks house, which you can't help to think about Casey Jones, you know. Do you feel mad when you see a hockey player wearing all that sports equipment? And you're like, that's Casey's thing. <laughs> Don't not, wear not that. If they're, not that's if they're playing the hockey. turtles. You know I've, I mean? I've seen every Friday the 13th movie with Pete, and he says that every time. He's like, Jason, <laughs> take that off. That belongs to Casey Jones, Jason. Jason Voorhees. All right, well, next up, Deadly Hands of Kung Fu <laughs> Gag War number one from Marvel, written by Greg Pak, art by Kayo Machado. Yeah. Unlike the rest of the gag war, Shang-Chi just wants to hang out in Chinatown and have everybody leave him alone. Just chill. Just yeah, man. chill. Or does he? Dun, dun, dun. Ooh. That's it. That's my intro. Oh, okay, great. Well, great intro. I would just like to say, hey, thank you so much. I yeah, mean, Pete, you're you're the Shang Chi guy. I feel okay, like thank the, you. the number one fan on the cast. Uh, so, but uh, let me just say real quick, I I struggle with uh, the continuity around Shang Chi. I feel like it's this uh, vil- recovering from the villain status of his dad and having the ten rings. And it's just sort of in the middle where you're like, what is the deal here? Uh, And I think this issue does a decent job of sort of wandering through that and landing in a place where, uh, slight spoiler, the rings are off the table for him and he gets to go back to just uh, fist to fist combat, which I think is actually maybe a good place to sort of just put a pin in what what Shang-Chi is. 
Yeah, I I love this. I really thought it was great. I mean, uh, I loved all the different kind of uh, cool villain cameos that we got in this here. Um, You know, you've got uh, uh, Spider-Man. You've got, well, he's not a villain, but yeah, you got Spider-Man cameo. You got Mr. Negative here. So this is great stuff. Also, really great cover. I'm a sucker for Chang Chi. I love this. Also, cool lesson in this comic, which was great. Felt very old school. Uh, Greg Pak is awesome. So you just be like, shut up and just let him do his thing. And then at the end of it, you got something to say, maybe say, but you guys are speaking too early on this. Yeah. I think it's interesting that you don't think Spider-Man is a villain, but I straight up think he's a menace to the city. Here's my question. Why does he wear a mask? You know, why, like, why is he swinging around? And, and those villains, he's working with them. I think, frankly. Nobody wow. asked you. The, the Jay Jonah. You've, you know, you've always been the Jay Jonah on this mm-hmm. podcast. So well, it's because finally I'm a great legitimate journalist. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's right. You're always uh, calling us into your office, pounding on your desk, and demanding photographs of our favorite comics. Yeah, get me pictures of me as KJ Appa. All right. Amazon's Attack, number three Uh, from DC Comics, written by Josie Campbell, art by Vasco Georgiev. We are continuing to see another side of the current Amazon conflict as we're following a small team made up of Nubia, Mary Marvel, Yara Flores, and the other one who I really need to find out the name of because she's very fun in this issue. Yeah. They are being attacked by various villains. They're trying to figure out who is attacking them. We know that Georgia... Georgina, Georgia Servada, who is essentially Michelle Gomez, the villain who is facing down Mary Marvel, is behind at least some of the attacks. We get a great prison set action sequence here with her there. Um, But there's some twists and turns by the end of the issue. I continue to absolutely love the series. Josie Campbell is writing the heck out of it. I love these characters, love the mix of them. And Vasco Georgia's art is great as well. A really nice follow up to Evan Doc Shader over on the new champion of Shazam series. Yeah, I agree with everything. Oh, I'm sorry, Justin, go ahead. I was going to say, yeah, I agree. Like, uh, I I like the action here. It feels like a very meticulously sort of uh, drawn and, 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 and plotted story moving to these different things. But I, the art is so nice uh, in this, I think just like very clean lines, something that I, I haven't seen in this area of the universe in the same uh, recently. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with what you guys are saying. I mean, I think you're undercutting the art a little bit. I would say it's a maze balls. You know what I mean? Mm. Uh, Did we not say that? No, no, no. Zelbatron said good, and you said nice. So I'm just going to bump it up to a maze balls. Uh, okay, I'm yeah. going to say nice balls and and good balls. I guess is what mm-hmm. I would say. Oh, okay. Well, interesting. But anyways, I love this kind of setup. The beware of the golden apple. I mean, just an unbelievable like last couple of panels. Just so badass. Uh, this is just a lot of fun, and I love this cast uh, of characters that we're playing with. Yeah, amazing story that's well thought out and well executed. This is this continues to be great. I mean, I know you just said it was an amazing story, but I would call it kind of like more of an amaze balls story, honestly. Okay, all right, yeah, man, just fair. to throw it out there. Yeah. Terror war. Hey, this this fight balls has gotten out of control, balls guys. <laughs> Terror, let's move on to our next comic ball. Terror War number eight from Image Comics, written by Saladin Ahmed, art by Dave Acosta. We are following a world where these gigantic horrors have been attacking the city, except 
they're not actually the bad guys. The bad guys are the people who are tapping them for energy. Our oh, heroes classic. have discovered that, and they're trying to fight back against the corporation that is essentially leading to the city to be destroyed. Um, I really like the series. I think it's very fun. Like it feels like a eighty lost eighties cartoon with some layers of uh, subtext about our current. Um, relationship to actual terror wars and terrorism and how we think about it. So I think it's very smartly done with some fun action. I know I've been higher on the series than both of you guys, though, but what did you think about this issue? Yeah, I thought it was great. It continues to uh, be solid as far as all the action, which I very much enjoy. And they kind of get an upgrade to their armor with this one. So uh, excited to see what happens after that. Yeah, you know, I uh, I'm a little bit down on this. I think in general, something about it just isn't hitting for me. But I did like the way the sort of turn here, where they turn their big threat into sort of the the weapon they need to to take on their actual villain. So that was a nice turnaround. It just feels like uh, it's a little slow and a little muddled for for my taste. All right. Fair enough. X-Force number 47 from Marvel, written by Benjamin Percy, art by Daniel Picciato. We are following the X-Force team as they try to pick up the pieces after the fall of pick X. Pick up the pieces. Uh-huh. What? Uh, after the Hellfire Gala, they're A-W-B. just slowly getting things back together and try to be proactive in terms of gathering the remaining mutants on Earth back into their new headquarters. We got Wolverine back with the team as well and in the forefront here. That seems like once again he's running off into his own adventure by the end of the issue. And this is all building up to the thing that Pete is either going to love or hate. Hate it! Where it seems like, uh, based on solicitations, by X-Force 50, we may have original Beast back some way, somehow, which is why I thought it was worth throwing back into the stack again, even though I know Pete is probably going to hate this issue. But Justin, why don't you go to you first? Oh, come on, man! Well, you're just going to, like, hate on it a bunch, so why don't we... Bullshit. Go ahead, Pete. Go ahead. Well, you said Uh, you mentioned me by name and got me all hyped like I was going to go next. He perked right up. He perked right up when you said his name. You're like the Baba Duke. And he is like the Baba Duke in a lot <laughs> anyway, of ways. Anyways, let me just Take get this out of the Take that top hat off and get back to business. Uh, and a tip of the cap to you, sir. I, I just think it's one of those things where we had Beast ruin the uh, Wolverine comic that P- Percy was writing, and that was just garbage. It was just, you know, who wants to see mom and dad fight for a whole fucking bunch of issues? It's heartbreaking. They're supposed Wait, to be Wait, just speaking. real quick, Pete, you're saying Wolverine and Beast are your mom and dad? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And wow, that's such a revelation. I'm going to hold on to that. Okay. You, you know think, what? Now that I way, see. Uh, what did you think of Mom versus Dad, Dawn of Parents? Were you a fan of that movie? Or? <laughs> Anyways, so it just sucks that. Both like their moms were named Martha? That is crazy. Yeah, Pete's grandparents I mean, are both. I mean, named my Martha. main thing about that movie is like, build it up a little bit more. You know, like, we got a mom movie, have a dad movie, and then bring them together. Yeah, exactly. I, Anyways, I just think, you know. And throwing uh, Cousin in there at the same time, totally unnecessary. Give her her that's own a movie twist. as well, you know? Yeah. Anyways, I just think it was a, uh, we got, we already lived that nightmare. The fact that we have to relive the nightmare with X-Force is just a kind of dumb. So I'm uh, looking forward to this being over so we can get back to action. Nothing. What a great comic book review. I'm looking forward to this being over. You mean all of it? 
No, the fact that Beast is the bad in this comic, again, we just did that. Wolverine, written by the same person, did this whole thing where Beast was the bad and had to fight fucking Beast, and it sucked. So now we got to do this again over at X-Force? I mean, what are we doing? It's the same idea. The arc is, this is not exactly spoilers because they put it out there. This arc is about them trying to solve that problem. They know Beast is a problem. And they're going to try to figure out. Oh, no out shit. The whole time Wolverine was fighting him, no one thought it was a fucking problem. No, they were. Well, no, busy. How are you not reading the comics, X Office? Like, we, you making us redo this fucking same shit we did again. Okay, I'm sorry. No, be, I'm the, being very that negative. Was a, uh, the art is phenomenal. I think that the, the Beast thing was a shadowy organization. If only when the Beast got cut, he would bleed a little like Beast face or something. <laughs> oh, yeah, that'd be super Cobra weird. style. Then we would know there's something going on here. Uh, but I like this. This remains the weirdest and wooliest of the X books. You got Domino with a wood hand. Everybody flying around in different ways. Like it's that part is really fun. And I, I. We forget that Beast, he's an original X-Man. Like, the redemption of Beast is a story that they have to give a little time and space to. And I think that's why it's moved over here to X-Force. Yeah, I I actually like this issue a lot more than the past couple of issues of X-Force, mostly because I think Wolverine really works as a organizing factor for this team. They're Sharp. Well, he's sharp, but also having him very specifically step up and be like, all right, you guys have been all over the place come on, I'm going to give you some direction rather than it just being this conglomeration of characters who are like, we don't know what's going on, what's happening here? So I think that's a really smart move, and I'm excited to see how they wrap this up. I think it's going to be dark and bloody and interesting. Speaking of wrapping things up, let's move on to one other present here in our stack. Batman Santa Claus Silent Night number 4 from Yay. DC Comics. Written by Jeff Parker, art by Daddy Kim and Steven Segovia. This has been a four-issue event. Not really teaming up Batman and Santa Claus so much as the Justice League and Santa Claus to fight against uh, Krampus, who has been taken over by an evil entity that, spoilers here, turns out to be Krampus himself in a certain sense, uh, leading to a big fight with a bunch of mythological monsters and finally wrapping it up in this issue. What did you guys think about this one and the event as a whole? We're, if, we're, if you're listening on the podcast, we're just kind of gesturing to each other. Uh, this is very polite what's happening here. <laughs> I went no, first nice. last time. You know, it was a whole thing. I was hoping just. Wow, I guess Pete sort of hates Christmas. Oh, this is the real answer God. here. Because <laughs> he won't, he won't, he refuses to talk about this book. All right, uh, fine. I'll go. I, I First off, fantastic cover, great action. Love the moment where Super uh, Blue Beetle is fighting and says, oh shit, that was really fun. Uh, love to see Robin uh, get so excited about being around Santa Claus. That was, it's just great. I, as an overall kind of event, by issue two, I was a little worried about, like, how long is this going to go? But then they immediately won me over with issue three and four. This was a blast. Uh, such a fun execution of a really cool idea. And it was fun to see, like, superheroes be in awe of Santa. Yeah, the um, the way that Santa... Santa is so real in this to the heroes in a way that I thought was done big time in the first issue and, and maybe the second issue. And then it came back here in such nice, small, little sweet moments. And I thought that was cool. Krampus, scary looking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I also really like seeing Damian Wayne have to um, cry and carry on like a baby, mm-hmm. uh, which I think was fun. 
Overall, <laughs> I think this was a super fun event as well. It mostly felt like it was building towards comedy bits a lot of the time, which I really can't hate on. Like the Damian Wayne thing was very fun. I do think the resolution with Krampus was weird a little bit, like a little bit strange. Um, but yeah, otherwise, well, because of the just the way it's sort of like. He's a friend now? Like Santa and Krampus are like, yeah, we're buds, Yeah, I guess. but also I think the idea was it was sort of like the darker impulses of Krampus separated from Krampus, and that's what was causing the problem, if I understood it you correctly. You never – the dark side never wins in your body and takes over you for uh-huh. a little bit? I, I was looking forward to like what third Christmas character is going to be in here. Is it Jack Frost or what's going on? And it's like, nope, it's also Krampus. <laughs> no, so. the Dr. Naughty miniseries that spins out of this, I think you're going to really enjoy. Oh, I can't wait. They doubled down on Krampus. What's up? But overall, very fun idea. Well executed. I enjoyed it. Next up, Local Man, number eight, another one of our best comics of the year from Image Comics, written by Tim Seeley and Tony Fleeks, art by Tim Seeley and Tony Fleeks. Our Local Man is still on a psychedelic trip from the last issue and having a bunch of weird encounters with the people in his life, leading to a fourth wall breaking sequence through the end of the issue that really changes the game for everything happening with the plot. This continues, like we said on the live show, to be one of the most creatively done and smartly done comics out there. I was really, really impressed by this. Agree. Wow. I just love this comic. It's so good. I love the the sort of now it's gotten into a little bit more of a slow build, getting toward this big revelation we get uh, for our main character, something that we've known for a while, but that he gets to discover here through, like you're, you're saying, a format breaking choice at the end, which something I've truly never seen before in comics. How often do you get to see that? So that's, this is great. This is fantastic. I mean, you know, fourth wall getting broken happens a lot in comics, uh, but this not, not is, in this way. Have you really that's seen what this? I'm saying. Uh, but this is different. It's a really unique, interesting way to do it. Um, I, yeah. Also the rest of the issue is great. I mean, Tony Fleeks just, Sets such an awesome mood for a comic, and the art really pulls you into this world. I I just can't say enough great things about the art. Uh, also, the writing is amazing too. This is such a great team on this book. Pulls you into this world. Uh, does such a great job. Uh, you feel for this guy in a mask, and, and it's I don't know how you can do that. Uh, just the the way it's drawn, the way he looks, it's just very very kind of unique and interesting. Um, yeah, just really impressive creatively. And we've read so many comics for so many years. The fact that we could get surprised like this is pretty damn impressive. Yeah, it's uh, this could have been a one joke premise and it's anything but instead it's two seasoned professionals working at the top of their game gets better and better every issue. Moving to another one that was one of our best picks of the year, the sensational She-Hulk number yeah. three from Marvel written by Rainbow Rowell. Art by Andre Genolette. She-Hulk is still trying to figure things out with her cousin, Bruce Banner, a.k.a. the Hulk, more specifically the Hulk, as she fights against a villain who has stolen her blood and also wants to steal Hulk blood. You know, I, I really like just sort of the hangout nature of this book, and the humor is great. There's a little less on the romance here, which is fine, but there's a very, very funny moment at the end as well involving some text messages. Every issue is a joy to read. Yeah. 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 Agreed. I mean, it's just, it, it's fun, light superhero stories that I think, uh, 
like we talk about a lot, like feel different than other things. We didn't even get into the the romance side of it in this in this issue, like the the Jack of Hearts stuff. It just was dealing with the other story going on, and it still had that same tone. A really great read. Yeah, that, like you guys are saying, I love the time that we get to spend with She-Hulk because it's it's downbeat moments a little bit. You know what I mean? The parts where she is kind of like sitting there with Hulk and they're just kind of sitting there is so awesome and powerful and so well executed artistically. Uh, yeah, I love this. I thought it was a blast. You, you know, you feel for the other relationship that's happening. That poor guy is doing things. That, it's just like such a kind of a mess. And and the fact that we kind of get a window into that is really interesting and cool. I love this issue. I love the art style and the tone of it. Uh, the Hulks look great. It's just great to be able to spend this time with them. Fantastic. Continues to be a baller comic. Anathema as the next Hulk. Sure. I like it. Why not? I don't know. <laughs> Anathema is a little uh, trickier word. Uh, to it say is. Yeah, Hulk. that's why I didn't join you in saying it. Seems a little tricky. Join me. (laughs) Anathema. Well, all I got to say is it's not easy being green unless you're green. Number seven from DC Comics, written by Joshua Williamson, art by Carmine D. Gian Domenico and Trevor Harrison. Green Arrow is back in the regular DC universe after traveling through time and the multiverse, or at least he thinks he is. He's not 100 percent sure, particularly because the Justice League has been disbanded since he's gone. A lot of this issue is taken up with trying to figure out what he's missed and what he can do about it. This is a very exciting direction for the second arc of this book. I'm really intrigued to read more. I was a little concerned after the first arc was so specific in terms of being time lost. Where does it go from there? But once again, I think Joshua Williamson has set up a really interesting place for Green Arrow to be in the DC universe. And I'm excited to see what happens next. Yeah, welcome to Pete's Arrow Corner. We're talking Green Hour oh, number right. seven. Oh, boy. We don't have time for this. this holiday season? No Best way. Up. It's busy right now. Anyway, this is fun stuff. Love the art style. It has a real sharpness to it, which is very cool. Badass last panel. Excited for more. Also love the uh, line that Green Arrow says when he walks into kind of the Hall of Justice. Like, Where the hell is the Justice League? Fun stuff, man. Yeah, this was – I love Green Arrow coming back and being like, hey, what's up? It's like he's checking in on the rest of the DC universe in this issue very, like, in a meta way. Checks in with – what's the Justice League up to? Uh, oh, just hanging out. Great Hal stuff. And then the way they're incorporating so much of Green Arrow's past here in, in the villain reveal we get at the end I thought was very cool. Yeah. Universal Monsters Dracula number three from Image Comics written by James Tide the Fourth, Art by JT4. Martin Simmons. Is them doing their take on Dracula? What did you guys think? <laughs> <laughs> well, hold on. I'll just mention my reservations here. Obviously, we love JT4. Martin T- Simmons, to me, is the real draw here. Nothing against yes. JT4. Just because the art is gorgeous, particularly his Redfield is iconic the way he's drawn. It's one of the creepiest things I've seen in comics in a really long time. But I wish there was a little more something else than Dracula here. Like we were promised a new fresh story of Dracula, but it feels like I'm reading Dracula, which I know. So um, I don't know if you guys feel the same way, if you're getting more out of it. it well, I, I agree with you. It's it's I'm finding it surprisingly over the plate, especially when it's like, there's a whole section here where they're like, have you noticed that there are two holes in people's necks? And I'm like, yes, 
I know how vampires work. <laughs> like, and it, I get that that these people don't in the story, but it feels like it's just moving as if this is the first ever vampire story when in fact it is the one millionth. So that that's just making it a little bit strange. I like the atmosphere and the vibe is really cool. It feels like there's organ music playing constantly in this comic. Yeah. It's just of being a little bit. Uh, I want a little bit more juice to it when it's in a world we already know and understand. Well, to just uh, jump into what Justin's talking about a little bit, the the feel of this comic is creepy as fuck, and it really brings you back to a certain time period. It feels like, and the kind of red panels that they have these bloody red panels in between stuff is so spooky. And as Albatron was saying, the Rensfield looks so creepy. Just the face is so creepy. Uh, yeah, I mean. Th- I love the art. I could just look at the panels for hours, but we're not getting much as far as like Dracula or, you know, it's just a lot of dumb people walking around saying dumb things like, I don't know what this means. Why is there holes in next? And it's like, okay, this is the first time for you, but it's really hard for us. So I feel like once maybe uh, they catch up to what's going on, this will be a better reading experience. But artistically, it is super type bananas here. Yeah, I'm curious. This makes me a little apprehensive of the other Universal Monster stuff that I believe is coming down the pike, just because if this was a Renfield title, I think that would be interesting. That would show us the story in a different way. Here, adding in all of the traditional Dracula characters, we're getting a little bit more of the same, like we've been saying. Predator versus Wolverine, number four from Marvel, written by Benjamin Percy, art by Ken Lashley, Kay Zaba, and Gavin Greentree. Predator and Wolverine have been fighting throughout his entire history, one killing the other and it all comes down to this as we continue to jump through multiple time periods before one ends the other. I don't want to spoil it, but uh, I think you wow. can figure out who wins. Whoever I mean, wins, yeah, I guess we we'll lose, see. You know? yeah, exactly. uh, have mercy, Ben Percy, I say, because I think this is really good. <laughs> it's an episode of <laughs> Full House. Have mercy. Who the fuck are you? Yeah, why it, well, it wasn't a direct Full House. Jesse Kinsopoulos isn't the only one that can say, <laughs> have mercy. Have mercy. Benjamin Percy is going to say, did I do that after this oh, issue of wow. Predator versus Wolverine? Oh, sorry, real quick. What year is it? I've been sick for a while. Uh, <laughs> what year do we think it is? I think 1993, I I'm going to say. Uh, but I, I thought this was really just didn't need to be as great as it was. Like, I love the multiple time periods, the way that the larger X-Men team came in here uh, from when the, the like late 80s X-Men team, I guess, uh, when Wolverine's fighting the Predator then. Just a really smart way to tell it so it's not such a just knockdown drag out fight. We get to see so many different versions of it. This was I really like this. Yeah, it, along with what Justin was saying, it was really impressive what they did with this. It could have just been an awesome nonstop fight, which it kind of was. But the backstory and all the flashbacks and the different time periods that we saw was so cool. I also liked it was like we got to see kind of Wolverine learning the importance of playing with your team or using your team or including others with your problems because he was trying to protect them from this monster that's been following uh, him for years and years. And uh, yeah, it turns out he needed them. And that was a cool kind of thing along with all of these just epic battles. I mean, I was 
a little disappointed in how it ended. I wanted it to be a little, I kind of, my mind kind of built it up a little bit more, but I was very happy with the winner and the outcome. So hard to complain too much, but man, this was really cool. Art was fantastic. It was uh, just very epic. Yeah, I agree with you on the ending. I think the final fight between the two of them was a little bit underplayed, but the sequence, I think it was the one drawn by Keizaba that takes place back in the 80s or 90s with the full X-Men team of the Bastion. I found that so stressful to read (laughs) just because the rest of this book has been like Wolverine one-on-one or in his Weapon X days when all everybody's evil and sharp or whatever that period was when he was with Sabretooth and um, uh, all the other folks when they were like elite special (laughs) operatives. These are all people that are like, we're going to fucking die, get torn apart versus the 80s X-Men are like, let's go play baseball. And then (laughs) the Predator shows up in the bathroom and Charles Xavier is lying on the ground Wolverine's like, oh my god, run, everybody, you gotta run. I was freaking out reading that part, uh, but so... It's so funny you say that, because that section reminded me of Predator versus Archie, Mm -hmm. where, like, the Predator comes and they're like, we're happy, and then they just wreck some of and that's uh, where we're at here. Yeah. Yeah. Great, great sequence, though. Really good series. Next up, Justice Society of America, number eight from DC Comics, written by Jeff Johns, art by Mikhail Janine. We are continuing to follow a bunch of legacy heroes in the DC universe who are being, or legacy villains, actually, who Huntress, who has traveled back from, back in time, knows are eventually going to be good guys, and she's trying to redeem them earlier than usual. She thinks that's the reason she's here. We're meeting a new forgetting what the actual name of the character is, but essentially like a red lantern versus a green lantern type character, Alan Scott, green lantern, meaning uh, over in Russia. Um, And there's a couple of other things going on at the same time. What'd you guys think about this one? Yeah. First off, great cover. Uh, Loved all the cool action and art style right from jump and uh, cool kind of like red tint coming on exciting ending. And they do a good job of getting you excited for more. Yeah, I, I, this is great. The art is amazing in this. Love the sort of uh, very small but uh, Starman reference we get in here, uh, which was great. The, it's interesting reading this alongside the Alan Scott series, where it's sort of the similar villain area. Like I thought this could easily be a dovetailed story where it's the same guy, and I thought same villain with the red the red mm-hmm. flame. Uh, and, and it's not obviously, and I, I was sort of thinking it could tie in, but obviously these are coming out at the same time. There's no way it could, but that would make sense with why Alan is so distraught for most of this issue. Well, I think he is. They talk about that a little bit, or at least hint at that. He sits down with this new red, red flame and has a conversation and doesn't explicitly say this was my boyfriend and lover because he can't. Um, He doesn't want to admit that, but that's definitely playing under the whole thing. I think the thing for me is, always like Jeff Johns as a writer, he knows how to play with these characters. Mikkel Janine's art is absolutely perfect for this sort of story. Um, It feels like a nice pickup of the old JSA story they did back in the day. But now that we're past the per degaton story, I need an organizing principle here. Like when Huntress is like, if it isn't to gather up these people, why am I still here? That's my question, too. Like, there's no central mystery. All the characters kind of seem confused about what they need to be doing next. And that's what I need. I need a shadowy figure in the background that's building towards something. I need some overarching mystery because right now it just feels like a gather the team thing over several issues. 
And I'm not 100% sure what the point of that is yet. What feels like that what we, what is revealed in the last page of this issue is maybe going to be that. Yeah. Is my guess. Yeah. There's going to be a reason to gather the team. It feels like it's building towards. Yeah. Uh, That's like we gather comics, but our team, but also Justin, it's hard to say, all right? It's hard to say to somebody, hey, that's my ex-lover uh, who is now a, a giant enemy, okay? No, it's a hard I, thing I to definitely – I understand that part of it, but it felt like if you aren't reading Alan Scott, you wouldn't get what was no, happening. No, you wouldn't here. understand. And that, that's my happened. point is like it feels like they could really line these stories up, mm-hmm. but if you didn't weren't reading Alan Scott, there's no way you would know that that's what he's talking about. I feel like based on the clues and the, and the context in this issue. Let's move on to something much simpler. Giant Robot Hellboy number three from Dark Horse Comics, yeah! written by Mike Mignola, art by Duncan Vergredo. And I did say it was simpler, but actually this is the most complicated issue so far as our giant robot has gone rogue and is fighting monsters while a elite operative is trying to escape from a rapidly collapsing island. There are a bunch of weird mysteries that are thrown in here. Pete, you're a big Hellboy fam. What you think of this? This was just awesome. It was such a great issue. Loved it. Some mystery, some fun, some sadness. Uh, I'm not sure what is happening, but I'm having a great time. The art is just so kick-ass. Yeah, we we don't know who's controlling the giant robot. Maybe it's Zalbin's ex-lover. We don't know. And he probably wouldn't tell us for a little bit, you know. But yeah, you gotta uh, read we have to read the other you issue. you got to listen to my yeah. other podcast to know what's going on with that. Oh, man, I, I yeah. refuse. I refuse. But I do <laughs> think that this is just uh, so epic and awesome, and the art is completely badass. I agree with you, Alex. I was surprised the first two issues of this were like giant robot smash things with no mystery at all to it, just so over the plate. And then this issue, it's like giant robot, not what you think. Woman turning into monster, maybe. Other organizations making confusing choices. I was like, this it reminds me of like the the Monarch series currently mm-hmm. airing on uh, Apple TV mm-hmm. in that it's like there's a much larger mystery here that is suddenly opened up to us. And I'm like, I thought we were just going to see some smashy smash. <laughs> do you recommend the Monarch series, by the way? Um, I do. I think you would uh, find it fun. There's a big monster attack. At least once I wasn't episode. talking to you. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I, I do like it as well. As I think Alex has seen more of it. Not as not much as it may be. I okay. just haven't watched as much of it. I feel like there's some hesitation on picking up on. Yeah. Well, why don't we leave that for the screen? Hey, here's here's a podcast. hint. Pete, it's right next to Ted Lasso um, on the Apple TV. Yeah, box. I know, but I never make it past Ted Lasso. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Ted Lasso, Godzilla's ultimate enemy. Spider-Woman number two for Marvel, written by Steve Fox, art by Carola Borelli. We have Spider-Man woman thrust into the middle of the gang war storyline while she just wants her baby back at the same time. And she's slowly discovering that not only do the bad guys of the gang war really want to sell drugs, but they also want to keep her from her baby. (laughs) Um, What's going on here? I I don't know, but to your point, like the, the addition of the like, they just keep throwing in there, and also you're never going to see your baby. And she also is like, "Right, my baby," and it just <laughs> oh, feels right. It just feels like th- this is if this comic was happening without the gang war, it would be more centrally focused on that. But instead, she's like, "You know who's great at sneaking into corporate offices? Blonde women." And I was like, "Oh, right, okay. I thought you were upset about getting your baby back." <laughs> Uh, but I, I do like I like a Spider Woman comic. I wish we were. I hope I'm excited to when we get to the baby stuff. 
Mm-hmm. Well, the the hard part is is and uh, you know spoilers for this issue, but she dies at the end, so it's like I don't know what we're gonna get oh, after RIP, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yes, I, I think there's a weird disconnect in terms of the plotting that's going on here. Like we've been saying, if it's just the gag war storyline, would have been totally fine with it. If it was just the baby back thing, which honestly is the stronger emotional hook, I would have been more fine with it. Um, as is, it's doing two things at the same time, and they're just not gelling at all. However, what is working for me is Corella Pirelli draws a really good yes. Spider-Woman throughout this yes. issue. Yes, yes. Um, I think you mentioned this with the first issue, Justin, but she's been put in a lot of cheesecake poses over the years, and I think Corella Pirelli is specifically avoiding those, like drawing her like a real human yeah. being, which I know s- sounds like faint praise, but... It is very noticeable and it's very specific uh, and it looks good. So there's a good attitude to her that's drawn throughout the issue. So even if the story isn't quite working for me, I think the art absolutely is. The Flash, number four from DC Comics, written by Cy Spurrier, art by Mike Diodato Jr. We are dealing with a wild Flash storyline, the likes of which we've never seen before. Flash is encountering new forces that are mucking things up for him, particularly he's become really enamored with a strange garden that is inside of a stillness, and the people in his life are starting to wonder exactly what's going on with him while he's gone. Um there is a eerie, unsettling nature to this series that is unlike any Flash series I've ever read before. I'm really, really enjoying it. It's very smartly done, and Mike Diodato Jr.'s art is so disturbing and upsetting throughout with some of the character creations. Really good stuff. Uh, I agree. This has been my favorite Flash story uh, in a long time. It feels like Sai has found a new way to to approach the speed force or speed in general. And of course, someone who is constantly in motion, like going to a place of absolute stillness is like Turkish delight is like something that I think he's going to become addicted to. And you already see, you're already seeing little moments of that. So this is, it's this a is Chronicles really a of Darty, a reference Pete. Yeah. Oh, I thought it was a candy. It is a candy. It is a candy. It's a candy so tempting you would be willing to betray your uh, two, your three relatives. Real oh, quick, Justin, question for you. Do you think before C.S. Lewis wrote The Lion, the Witch, of the Wardrobe, he had ever tried Turkish Delight? Um, I think not because mm-hmm. uh, we – when we, we were – as kids, we read The Chronicles of Narnia and really enjoyed it. And then we tried Turkish Delay. We're like, what the? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. It's like rosewater gelatin covered in light bit of confectioner sugar. So weird. I, I Very strange. Uh, but I also think C.S. Lewis had other things in mind, as I've <laughs> learned later, when he was uh-huh. using Turkish Delight as a thing to tempt someone to betray their uh, soulful nature or whatever. But my point is, this flash is fantastic. Like you're saying, it's creepy. It's um, it's interesting, and it's using speed in a way that we haven't seen before. Yeah, there's some really awesome covers here. I love the tripped-out art style. Very cool way of showing uh, the speed of the flashes. <laughs> wow. World tree. You can no. tell when Pete doesn't like something but doesn't want to say it. He's like, great covers, intriguing. 
<laughs> See Scott Staples released in stores. World Tree number six from Image Comics, written by James Todd IV, art by Fernando Blanco. After the huge revelations of the last issue that showed us a tech apocalypse in the future, that's where this series is headed. We are not exactly flashing back, but going back to the present timeline and finding out what is happening to our characters next. I continue to really like this series a lot, but this is an issue... After the last issue was so big and it was building to that, this always feels like a rest in a certain way where we're resetting and figuring out what the series is now. So not quite as strong as the previous five issues, but the art continues to be really strong. And it's certainly not as god awful as James Tyler the Fourth's Universal Monsters Dracula, which we all agree about. Wow. What the fuck? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. He's a writer working at a very high level. So even yeah, if I don't. Jesus Christ. Well, actually, let me just say this. I mean, this is kind of an obvious point, but it was something I was thinking about a little bit with Tom King this week um, for a variety of reasons. But a writer like a Tom King or a James Tide of the Fourth, I think you could criticize their work more because they are operating at such a high level across the board. So you could plumb into it and delve into it a little bit more versus somebody who's like, generally okay, you could be like, yes, they continue to generally be okay. So it's a little easier to pick apart something like that because they can take the criticism because they're so good at what they do. Are you trying to make yourself feel better for the shitty things you say? I just think James Tynan the Fourth doing a terrible job. Me, as a <laughs> criticizer, doing an amazing job. That's what oh, I'm saying, my. right, Pete? Oh, my Criticizer. God, I guess so. <laughs> uh, yeah, this Don't is amazing. Criticize my word choice? How dare you? I, I thought the criticizer. <laughs> thought it was amazing arc, uh, amazing art, uh, a little violence, creepy dudes. Continues to be a great comic. This felt like a cool way of doing like the origin of Microsoft. Like the, a lot of this mm-hmm. in the beginning is just like the the creepy sort of horror version of that, which I think is fun and. I think you said this on uh, the, our best of podcast. It feels like James is building it up to a, a, a long story here. And I really like that. I think he has a lot to say about the internet and how that, what horrors lie underneath. It. Oh yeah, man. How about, uh, this is a pitch here, a TV show. It's a cop show where they have to solve a murder. And the only way of solving the murder is recruiting a professional uh, criticizer in, uh, to recruit him, somebody who just like really goes in and criticizes people and stuff. Uh, and then they really worked well together so that they get assigned. And then every week they solve a new mystery by the cop doing cop stuff and the criticizer just. Really stop trying to it. cast yourself in vehicles. You fucking stop trying to pitch stuff. Just because Justin works in Hollywood, you're not going to impress him so much with your ideas that he's going to write a pilot around your strengths. I feel like your strengths. I feel like um, the difference between a professional criticizer and a quote unquote amateur criticizer is not that, not a fast scene. <laughs> I think it could be a really fun scene early in the pilot just to pitch it to you, Justin, because I know you do Hollywood stuff. Uh, let me, let me the cops start are sitting around like, how can we possibly find somebody that can criticize stuff? We got to find somebody who really knows how to criticize stuff. That's everybody. Talk they to my mother-in-law. Justin already wrote a better pilot from what you were pitching. <laughs> <laughs> That's why he's Hollywood, and I'm Broadway. I, I, what does this talk about? How I'm, I'm Hollywood? You're Broadway, yes. and Pete is Central Southern Pennsylvania. That's, That's right. Repping. 
repping the cornfields, <laughs> just wandering through cornfields, picking uh-huh. up corn. That's central. That's the rest of the country, right? Other than Broadway and Hollywood. I believe. <laughs> oh, <laughs> criticizer about to face some criticism. <laughs> Jesus Christ, guy. <laughs> Immortal X-Men number 18 from Marvel, written by Kira Gillen, art by Juan Jose Rip. We are continuing to follow two storylines here. One is set in the white hot room as Mother Righteous is taking Jean Grey for unknown purposes to do something. We find out what it is in this issue. Meanwhile, Professor Xavier is teaming up with... Uh, best best described as the memory of Mr. Sinister to try to figure out a different angle on the same mystery. I know Pete is going to hate this. I knew he was going to hate this while I read this. But A, I will read anything that Juan Jose Rip draws. Absolutely love his art across the board. Like it's so detailed and leads into exaggerated and gross. Um, often a little less so in this issue, but he, his stuff is so good. And I love this issue. The place that it ends up in the end, building on so many months of Kieran Gillen's storytelling and X-Men. So smart. So well done. I was completely forward by the twist at the end of this issue. But it, again, makes complete sense and builds well on it. I loved it. Yeah, this this book has a real Doctor Who vibe to it. Uh, and again, I don't really watch Doctor Who, Alex. <laughs> I love that you uh, bring it up all the time, though. Well, I don't know. I just feel like it reminds me of when I watched Doctor Who as a kid, where I'm just like, it's so high minded. And like, well, in the white hot room, the, like, it's just like there's a you have to sort of jump through a bunch of portals to get to the place where the story is. But I agree with you. It is. In this fall, post fall of X world, there's so many different tones at play, and it's hard. We've said this before, but it's hard to find what the central story is. But I've been enjoying all the different weird uh, areas we've been able to hang out in for the X Men. All right, let me uh, first say the thing that I liked about this uh, really cool cover, and then <laughs> whatever. I mean, you got a balloon lady leading another lady around. It gets meta with some blank pages and shit and. What the fuck? That looks like the criticizer is logged on. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. We talked about using meta stuff in ways that is unique and interesting. Mm. And then there's this. I big, I really like big it. Spider-Man meme energy happening on this podcast <laughs> right now. <laughs> Definitely. Um, the uh, one thing that I'd say about <laughs> there we go. Thank you for popping in for the video again, Justin. The. <laughs> Uh, one thing that I'd say about this without chanting too much into spoilers, you were talking about being a cent- not knowing what the central book is. Without mentioning what happens here with Mother Righteous, with any of the other characters, this is the central book because this is very much setting mm. up what the final conflict is going to be based on the solicitations for Rise, specifically Fall of the Powers of X, which is one half of Rise of the uh, Rise of, Rise of the Powers of X. Fall of the House Uh-oh. of X. I don't know. There's Uh-oh, a lot this, of words in that. This, this book's in trouble when we can't yeah. even say what's happening. Whatever. <laughs> Kieran Gillen's book, which takes place in the future, is going to be leading directly off of this and sort of the end point of what happens to the X-Men and Krakoa era. So I'm very excited to see what happens. This gives you a tease of who the ultimate villain is for the entire era. And it's a good one. Oh, yeah, it's a great. I mean, I love the Force Ghost Sinister. Such a fucking great use. I did like that. (sighs) I think it's very funny, right? It's a very good Mr. Sinister. All right, I'm just going to say it. Mr. Sinister in there. The Force Ghost Sinister is a bullshit idea. That's okay. Fine. I will talk. If you don't want to know spoilers for the issue, please stop listening now. 
First of all, I will admit that you have to have read a lot of things to understand what's going on in Immortal X-Men right now, including pretty much everything that Kieran Gillen has written for X-Men. Does the magic balloons make sense? The ultimate villain of the Krakoa era is going to be Nathaniel Essex, a.k.a. the original Mr. Sinister. Whoa! Whoa! That's what you just asked for. Like five seconds ago, you're like, why can't we have the real Mr. Sinister? There you go. It's happening, baby. My little baby. Oh my God. I love glowing balloons. I think artistically they're great. And I will follow them anywhere. There's a faint here. There's a faint of... One of these four sinister clones is going to become the Dominion, the thing that is all of the universe. They're going to take over the universe. So we've been so slowly we get to che- watch as this so we've been slowly checking some- off which sinister could be, counting down to it. That's been a central mystery. When of course, why would Nathaniel Essex, the man who created these sinister clones to begin with, be like, yeah, one of you become a Dominion when he could do it? It makes sense. You're- you think you're selling me on this, but you're making I'm not, it worse. I'm explaining it. The more it, you talk about it, just... the more I hate it. It sounds worse the more you talk about it. Sorry, real quick. Can we just clip Pete's reaction to Nathaniel Essex? Because uh, I think that's a great just general orgasm noise that I want to be able to use in some of my Hollywood uh, productions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Glad to help Hollywood. Yeah. Wait a second. That man is organi- organizing, or never mind. I don't know. <laughs> I lost it. <laughs> Moving on. The Penguin number five from DC Comics, written by Todd King, art by Raphael De La Torre. Now, as I was mentioning earlier, it's really easy to criticize Todd King because he's a dumb piece of shit who doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> oh, right, my Pete? God. Wow. Don't say that. That is not true on any <laughs> level. The man has written some of the best comics arguably of all time. The Penguin is my favorite thing that he's writing right now. It's phenomenal. Yeah, you mentioned honorable mentions. I know. It, this issue is really good. I'm just riling you up at this point for literally no reason, Pete. Great. The, That's how issue, we want to kick off 2024 is with a very <laughs> angry Pete. Uh, what I love about this that <laughs> isn't working for me as much about, say, Wonder Woman is the clarity of focus going on in this title that each issue brings us closer and closer and closer to Penguin coming back to Gotham City and trying to take it back. It's a multi-issue arc that he is being so careful with. Here we get a new type of muscle from a character we haven't really seen before who is coming into Penguin's team each Character, because we were spending time with them, has a very different feel to them. And the tension, as we get farther and farther away from that initial scene of the first issue, where Batman and Penguin are essentially dying in the Batplane, they're drowning in the Gotham City River, um, makes Mm -hmm. me more and more nervous about how we get there and how that happens. Um, This is great. This is a great crime crime comic book, great superhero comic book. Rafael de Torre's layouts and art are perfect. Love it. I agree. This is it's so good. This reminds me of like the the Mr. Miracle stuff, the uh, human target. Like it's so meticulously planned, able to switch into different characters, points of view. Uh, The this um, the. The character, we, the villain we're following here, he he lets the narration just be so wrong all the time and so, like, you can just see through it. And that's just really next-level writing. It, this is I agree. This is one of my favorite Tom Kings as well. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, love the Black Spider stuff, so badass, love the art, love the Batman showing up panel, that was really cool. Um, the problem I'm having is the buildup of, you think Penguin's awful, and then each issue shows you how dark and horrible he is, and it keeps getting worse as we're getting to Gotham, and... I, yeah, I'm just like, I don't know how Batman's going to fucking deal with this, man. This is fucking some dark shit. Uh, so, yeah, I'm very nervous, but I guess that's uh, all Tom King's plan. So I guess doing great. And I also wanted to give one shout out to you. We get to see the Penguin's kids a little bit in this issue, and they're very insistent how little they are like the Penguin. But when his daughter hits somebody with an umbrella, it makes a whack, whack, whack sound effect. Just a funny joke in the middle of yeah, the issue that ties joke. into the character. Very smart. Captain Marvel, number three for Marvel, written by Alyssa Wong, art by Rari Coleman and Jan Bazaldua. Captain Marvel has been attached to a new character, a thief who has certain powers. When it's the classic Negaband situation, she's got to hit the Negabands to get Captain Marvel out of the negative zone. But we're opening up in terms of the mystery of why this is happening and how this is happening and how maybe they're going to get out of it, as well as another great twist involving one of the characters that's been in the series so far. I like this series more and more every issue. I think the art is really good. There's a very fun drawing, uh, the way that we get the, like this dragon clear yes. in the Sanctum Sanctorium is very fun. Uh, the negative zone is drawn in a really interesting way as well. Um, yeah. But Alyssa Wong's writing, it's fast, it's funny, it's smart. Um, I'm interested in the mysteries. I really like this book. Yeah, agreed. This is such a great ish. Uh, fun switching. Uh, great team up with Doctor Strange and Clea Strange here. Cool monsters. Unbelievable art. Uh, great times. More, please. Cannot wait for more. Uh, great times. Fast cars. Uh, Applebee's. Th- this is... Uh, this is, I agree. This is fun. The, the pairing up of Captain Marvel with someone who is a villain and sort of just a different type of character than her works really well. And it, it makes for that just odd couple pairing that I, I think is really nice. The Sandman Universe, Nightmare Country, The Glass House, number six from DC Comics, written by James Tyne the fourth, art by Lissandro Estrada. I think that's the fourth James Tyne of the fourth book we've read. That's his lucky oh, number. getting stretched thin. You know, that's what I'm going to say about this, right? right oh, Alex, you're really talking about the nature of creativity here. Right? No, all right. right. Yes. Oh, go ahead. Would you, you consider to be us to be stretched thin at all? Yes. This <laughs> probably <laughs> leading to this terrible, horrible bit that I'm doing. Uh, I really like this book a lot. I think I've said this with almost every issue, but this is probably the best follow-up to the Sad Bad books that has yeah. ever been released. It ties up really, really nicely in this issue, kicking into a, I believe they tease it as the final run of issues are coming next year. The story will run. conclude. Yeah, the story will conclude. Um, whether that's a one-shot or a bunch of issues or something, I guess we'll find out. Um, but this has bunch. been great. I've This is horrific. Lissandra Esteran's art is a perfect complement to everything we saw in Sandman before. Really, really good stuff. All the way down to the art is reminiscent of the original Sandman book. And, like, if you're a fan or if someone you know read Sandman but hasn't been into comics, like, Pass this run on to them because it really feels like it, it has its place right on the shelf next to your favorite Sandman stories.
Yeah, I this is just I mean the art though. I mean the art though. This is should be classes taught on this art. There should be lectures. This should be hanging up. You throw the lectures. Mona Lisa on the ground and put this up in its place. This is just unbelievable art and I don't ever want to leave this world. And uh me and JT Sis both gave it honorable mention because it's that good. And nice. I left it off because you guys had already put it on there, but I agree. So, <laughs> okay. Wow, good. There All right. Go. Why don't we move on with Universal Monsters Mona Lisa number one from James Tynan before? <laughs> <laughs> Carnage number two from Marvel, written by Torin Gronbeck, art by Per Perez. Carnage is building up a new cult around himself and gunning directly for Flash Thompson, who's really going through it lately. This doesn't pick up directly on the end of the last issue, which I felt a little bit like you, Pete. That threw me a little bit because I was expecting something following up on the death trap that Carnage set up in Times Square. Instead, we jump forward in time a little bit and see the repercussions of that as our characters continue to spin out. What do you guys think about this one? Yeah, I mean, this is, first off, like, creepy-ass last panel, you know, and that carnage, man, that, you know, people shouldn't be allowed to keep starting cults over and over again, you know what I mean? Like, somebody should really look into doing it, and yeah, and then you're done, that's it. Uh, but this continues to be gruesome and gross, but also really fun. I also like the bit about uh, mom and, uh, and dad without parents, uh, so that was fun. Or without pants, I'm sorry, misread my own handwriting there. Wow. You had that written down? The, well, yeah, the, uh, the moment I, where he didn't have pants and the mom was like, you got to go. You know, that was fun. Yeah. Uh, pants the page, as we've always called you. The the Flash Thompson stuff, I just like where this has reset the symbiote world a little bit, where it is a little bit more down to earth. The I really like the description of like the symbiote itches and things like that. It feels like we're getting back into the more visceral nature of Venom rather than the big universe spanning storytelling. So Venom and Carnage. So um, I'm, I'm here for this. Titans Beast World number three from DC Comics, written by Tom Taylor, art by Lucas Meyer. The world is being turned into beasts from spores that are coming from Gar Logan, a.k.a. Garo, was turned into a giant star. Get some big moves from various characters here as the Titans lead the fight to try to save Garo and try to save the world. And at the same time, Amanda Waller is making some moves in the background as well. What do you guys think about this one? Yeah, I mean, Lucas Meyer's art is just absolutely fantastic. It's really fun to see Black Adam as this kind of like lion creature. Power Girl turns into this kind of like flaming hawk type thing. This is just fun shit. I'm enjoying this event, and uh, the art is super tight bananas. I love the when the stars go in their mouths. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, know you like I mean? that? It's scary and gross. <laughs> yeah, it Imagine is. food going, like you, we eat food. I do. But imagine it was like the food was eating us. Whoa. Uh, the the way that this, um, I, I just feel like this story is a little bit all over the place. I want it to be more of a condensed story. Like the, the book we're going to talk about in a second pushes the story forward uh, some, but it just feels like we have to pay attention to so many different things to sort of get the crux. When I want just a lot of beast fights and mm-hmm. a lot of people transforming all the time, you know? This, I think this is a four-issue event, right? So it's almost wrapped up at this point. I 
wanted more of it. It feels like a Tom Taylor 12-issue style deal that he condensed. Um, So to your point, there's a lot of stuff going on here. I also, curious to get your guys' beat on it, clearly DC is telling some sort of Uber story with Amanda Waller that's stretching over multiple events. Uh, There's some sort of trinity of evil thing is coming later next year at some point that's probably going to continue that in some way. How How do you feel about this? Because I... I I don't know. I'm not sold on Amanda Waller being the big bad of the DC universe. My issue is she's just a little overexposed. We just Mm -hmm. have a lot of her in the back couple pages of uh, a ton of different comics being like, well, now we'll get them. And I'm like, come on. Like, I just want to see if she's the big bad, then we should know about it the way we know about all great villains. Someone should bleed and her face appears in the blood uh, (laughs) At the end, you know? <laughs> well, I think here's the thing. There, there's kind of two parts to this, right? We, if we have an amazing Amanda Waller story, then we have the greatest actress in the world who can play that. You know what I mean? So I feel like DC mm. is kind of being like, let's get some fucking Amanda Waller stories going mm. here. We, you know, so like, I don't know. I don't like Amanda Waller as a character. Um, so, you know, I'm not excited about this, but I can understand somebody trying to be like, let's get more Amanda Waller. Here's here's my theory right now. It's sort of a twofold theory. I think Amanda Waller is a weird big villain for the DC universe. The move she's making where she's like, I'm going to destroy the entire world in order to prove that superheroes are bad so I can get rid of them so my heroes can come in instead is weird. It's also, what is the end result here? Superman punches her so hard she explodes and they win the day or something like that? Or she gets in some sort of anti-monitor uniform and takes over the world? I don't think any of that's going to happen. I think there's going to be a twist here and she is not who she says she is. She is some other character. My best guess, and this is coming off of the casual mention of, hmm, she's been pretty weird since she got back from Earth 3. I don't know what happened there is there's got to be some sort of... That's the crime syndicate Earth, right? And they have to have some sort Mm. of Martian Manhunter character. So I have to assume the whole Uber story here is some sort of, like, crime syndicate. Oh, I think they're Earth 2, actually, so maybe I have that wrong. But, like, it has to be some alternate Earth invasion-type thing, shape-changers, something like that. I don't know. It just feels like there's some other Mm. step there because... Having Amanda Waller take on the entire DC universe, I don't know how satisfying that is, but I guess we'll see. Avengers Inc. number four for Marvel, written by Al Ewing, art by Leonard Kirk. This is the second to last issue of this title. We're getting some big revelations here. We have, we the readers know that Hank Pym is back and he is building up a cadre of villains to help him out in something. We find out exactly what that is here as he reveals all to Janet Van Dyne, a.k.a. the Wasp. And also our Victor Shade character that's been following around to yet another twist. I'm very sad to see this series go, but it seems like they are actually going to wrap up all the central mysteries going on here. So I'm happy about that at the very least. Yeah, I thought lots of twists and turns. Go ahead. Uh, Oh, yeah, just fun last panel, uh, great story and art, cool team. So with Moon Knight and the other villains, yeah, excited to read more. It was fun, all of the um, power that juggling gets in this comic. Mm-hmm. Real juggle-heavy, uh, which, you know, you don't always get. 
But uh, it is sad to see this go. I know you really love this, Alex. I like the sort of noiry nature of it and the flips and flops and twists and turns uh, that are part of it. Flipsy flopsy. Yeah. Last thing that I'd say about this is if you're curious about the series, you don't have to, but go back and pick up the Ant-Man series that Al Ewing wrote. It's a really good tee up for this. The Wasp series, a little less so. It doesn't feed in quite as directly, but that series was great as well. So I was happy to see some elements of that come back here. Last but not least, Titans, number six from DC Comics, written by Tom Taylor, art by Travis Moore. This is picking up off of the events of Titans Beast World, number three. But we're focusing on Starfire as we get a, I don't know, uh, Under Siege, I guess. The old Avengers Mm. event, not the Steven Seagal movie. I was was like, Steven Seagal. But with Titans Tower as they are attacked by a bunch of villains. Um, Somebody going to jump out of a cake? Another big twist, lots of big twists this week that reveals a character we thought was one thing is actually another thing. What'd you guys think? Yeah, that was, I thought that was really well set up where we kind of got this, uh, you know, a story, this backstory in the beginning and then really uh, ties back in 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 such a kind of well done way. Art, action, this, yeah, I'm having a blast with this kind of whole uh, uh, kind of Beast World stuff that's going on. So uh, I feel like uh, this werewolf uh, Batman thing is really fun. That's kind of we see caged up. Uh, So, yeah, I'm having a blast with this. And also, I appreciate that they were watching Teen Titans Go. I thought that was a fun little (laughs) nod. That's nice. I, I feel like Batman looks a lot like Rocket Raccoon in this. How dare you? Characters that are almost opposite in all ways. Uh, I really like the focus on Starfire in this. Uh, A character I feel like we don't really, we don't ever get to see a ton of her, I feel like. She just is there. Uh, Unless she's dating Nightwing, we get her a lot. You get her, but I feel like those stories are usually about Nightwing and less about her. So it's nice to get some, sad but true, some some backstory here. And it seems like she's more of a central figure here in this. um, this Which is great. All right, there we go. And that is it for the stack. If you'd like to support the show and all the shows we do, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Facebook and YouTube. Come hang out. We would love to chat with you about comics. Apple, Spotify, Android, or the app of your choice to subscribe, listen, and follow the show at comic book live on Twitter slash X, comic book club live on TikTok and Instagram, comic book club live.com. For this podcast and many more, until next year, we'll see you at the comic book shop. What's your resolution? Mine? More comics. Yeah, samesies. Mine is to figure out that trick where you make blood in the shape of your symbol. Oh, but good luck, man. Ooh. You got to murder The criticizer <laughs> speaks. Special guest speak So grab your grin and hammer
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.